It's it's got a pickup of about two feet. So if you get it closer does. than two feet, it'll distort. Closer than two feet? Yeah. So we'll right it. now it's going to distort. No, we're about two. You're, I'm about two feet away from you. Yeah, but when I speak, I'm, I'm more than. No, you're two feet away. Two feet. Yeah. So it's it's uh, August 9th, two thousand seventeen. What time is it about? No, I didn't check. I think it's probably about eleven, maybe. No, 20. no. I think it's past midnight. Really? Like wow. it's my guess is twelve thirty. It's twelve thirty. What is that smush on your phone? The smush? Yeah. This is actually a. Uh, what's it's a. Uh, it's kanji. It's a Japanese kanji. Which means what? It's a ja uh, Japanese. Art. It's a character. It's a letter. Oh, a letter. It's a, actually a word. What's the word mean? It represents a Buddhist teaching, which I think you would like. Let's hear it. There's a teaching that says, uh, it's very simple. It says, true man, true human being, right? Mm -hmm. No rank. Mm. True human being, no rank. Mm. So sometimes in Buddhist uh, traditions, they have they give names to uh, when they initiate into uh, the teachings of Buddhism. Truman. Truman is the name sometimes given uh, for people who uh, initiate. Is there like say your name is your given name is Richard, yeah. but you become a Zen Buddhist, and maybe your teacher would give you the name Truman. Hmm. And it comes from this teaching, true man, no rank. Oh, I see. Has uh, Buddhism uh, improved the quality of your life? No, no. I don't know what to say to that. How about what has improved the quality of your life? That's a better question. Yeah. That's a tough one. That's a deep one. So I'll break it down to two, two, two uh, expressions. And they're kind of questions, and they're not separate, and they actually contain a single whole. So it's like a, in... in, in Buddhism also there's an enso which is a circle is completion so the two expressions are this um, do we choose or are we chosen and of course there is no answer to that well I think you're living the answer we're living the answer we're living the answer yeah I was just telling Julia a short story about something like that. Yeah? <clears throat> These guys are in a... It's a story written by Sartre. Uh-huh. These guys are prisoners being held in a jail in South America. Right. And the guards come in every few hours, grab one of the prisoners, right. take him down the hall, and torture him because they want to know where the revolutionary leader, Ramon Gris, is uh -huh. hiding. Right. They're never able to catch this guy. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
However, he the reason they can't catch him is he's so skillful, he's never told anybody where he goes when oh. he's not being a revolutionary. Right. All right? So nobody knows. Sure. But the, the uh, military doesn't know that, so they're right. torturing everybody. So the guy who's next in line, like they just took away the guy before him. Right. He uh, He's thinking... I'm screwed because they're going to torture me and it's all going to be for nothing. They're not going to believe me. Right. He says, however, suppose I made up a story about where Ramon Gris was. <laughs> right. Then they would give me a certain amount of time while they went and checked out my story. Maybe. So he, he goes there and he says, he's thinking to himself, what am I going to tell him where he is? He goes... Oh, I got it. So we, when they pull him to torture him, they say, tell us where Ramon Gris is and we'll let you go. Right. And he goes, oh, okay. He says, you know in that cemetery over on the edge of town, you know how they have those sepulchers that are people that are buried above ground in like these concrete huts? Sure. He said, he's in one of those, but he's never told anybody which one. Right. But he figured out how to open it and that's where he goes and lives and he sleeps there. Right. So there's about probably 40 or 50 of those things in the cemetery. Right. Thinks, by the time they look through all of them, right. I'll just have bought myself some time. Sure. Because he figures, I'm screwed either way. Yeah. So they say, we're going to check out your story. And if, if you're leading us on a wild goose chase, yeah. you will be killed when right. we return. Right, right. He goes, okay. So they put him back in the, in the prison cell. And... For the next 12 to 24 hours, he's sitting there and he's thinking, this is my last day on earth. Mm -hmm. Have I lived a good life? What? And he, and he says to himself, you know, by me telling them that fake story, it means that I'm going to get killed when I get back. Right. But he said, look at it this way. I have chosen the day of my death. Right. Someone else has oh, not chosen is, it for me. This is very good. Yeah. And like he said, it's... that is something that I can hold my head high over. Right. Because right. I am the one in charge of my own destiny. Right. It's not chance. It's uh -huh. not roll of the dice. Right. It's me deciding what I am going to do. Right. So... Like Invictus, right? I don't know. What is Invictus? Ma master of my fate, captain of my soul. Oh. So, they come back from the from the uh, cemetery. Right. And uh, they pull him out and they take him right to the courtyard where there's the wall where people are shot. Right. right? And he's already thinking what he's going to say because they're going to say, you want a blindfold? Do you want to look at the people shooting you? Right. You know, you got any last words? Right. He's got it all planned out exactly what he's going to say. Right. He's been thinking about it for the past 24 hours. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> except they don't stop at the wall. Hmm. They go to the gate of the jail, yep. open it, throw him out and say, thank you. And they slam the door. And he's thinking, this is weird. Right. So he, he walks into town. 
and he sits down at a cafe totally bewildered sure. as to what the universe has just done. Right. And the waiter comes up to him and he says to the waiter, do you have a newspaper? He says, sure, here you go, sir. And he looks at the newspaper and it says, Ramon Gree captured, found wow. hiding in a cemetery. Wow, wow, wow. Now at this point, the prisoner, the former prisoner, he burst out laughing. Now was his laughter happiness sure. at his right. fate, or was it bewilderment embarrassment. Embarrassment. Yeah. over how much of our life is what we choose and how much of it is what just happens to us? Right. So that is that we could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> I have I if if that's your if that's your um, pawn to uh, Queen Six or something. <laughs> this is my response. There's a there's a Christian monastery, right? Yeah. That uh, was once held in high regard. Yeah. And it's dwindling. And uh, no one goes there. It's the, everyone's. Getting up in years, they have no new members. Okay. Swinging down to about six six old men. Yeah. You know, and uh, they're losing hope. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, they don't know what to do. And um, there's a traveler that comes by, a rabbi. Yeah. And uh, you know, some of the the priests in this order. Yeah. Uh, send someone to go talk to the rabbi and they explain the problem to the rabbi you know, oh our, our order's fallen in disarray we have no infusion of new life we have no new members and uh, it's a very interesting story by the way but this, the rabbi says I can help you with that problem because I have insight into your situation hmm. and so Guys, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, this it was once held in high esteem. There were great teachings that came out of it one time. Yeah. It did a lot of good works for people. Mm-hmm. Rabbi said, "What you do not know about the remaining members in your order is that one of them is Moshiach. One of them is the Messiah." So this guy's like, oh, "Who is it?" And uh, the rabbi just shakes his head, and this guy's pressing, who is it, who is it? He's like, well, I've given you this information. This is all the information that I can give you. Right? So the guy goes back, the priest goes back. He's like, this is amazing. I met this rabbi, he gave me this insight, and he says that, if you can believe this, one of us is the Messiah. And uh, they're dumbfounded. They're like... How can this be? Yeah. Right? They know he's a rabbi. They know he's a righteous man. He's not lying. From his vantage point, he's telling the truth. And so what happens is that they don't know who the Messiah is. Yeah. But they begin to treat each other very differently mm-hmm. in hopes that the one who is the Messiah will look upon them favorably. Oh. And acts of kindness for no reason begin to emerge. Right? Mm-hmm. And it begins to infuse with, with a great lovingness and warmth between one another because they know one of them is the Messiah. Yeah. And things start to change. And 
the infusion of holiness, meaning what is holiness really is just kindness. Sacredness is kindness. So they begin to hold their heads up high. And they begin to do things without reason or purpose, just kindness for kindness sake. Uh And word begins to spread. And their order begins to attract new members. And they begin to elevate again, like to when they once were, where people are beginning to attract and new people come. Mm -hmm. And uh, years later, after it's grown back to what it was, the elderly rabbi, they run into him again. And uh, they ask him, well, which one was it? Which one of us was the Messiah? Mm-hmm. The rabbi just answers him, I don't know that it matters. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that story? Uh, In relation to your story? That's a tough one. You see the parallel between the two. Are you saying it doesn't matter that he thought he was in charge of his destiny? Or his fate was totally outside of his wishes. Hmm. Is that what you're saying? It doesn't matter? Well, here's what I'm saying is that it's like the size of a coin. Yeah. Because the one person is examining how to preserve himself. Yes. They're both in similar situations. The order and the man are facing the inevitable. Right, that's right. They're both facing an inevitable thing. Right. The, the dissolution of the individual's life and the right. dissolution of, of the, the monastery. Right, yeah. correct. So, they handle it in very different ways, though, right? Right. One makes up a fabrication, which is coincidence, seemingly, that yeah. he was through this amazing... I see the similarity now. Yeah. Through this amazing happenstance, yes. he's preserved. Uh-huh. It's happenstance. And it's it's almost like a... But you look at the order, and it was through the belief in one another that they could be better, that they could do better, that they could do more because of what we believe in and the human potential is good. So I don't know where that leaves us, but I just thought that that story was a nice counterpart to your... To I, can your see, I can see why you would think that. Yeah. So this is a night walk, huh? I like this night yeah. walk. Now, would you say that as you reflect on your four decades of life on Earth... Yes. More often than not, you have chosen your fate or outside circumstances have chosen Oh, I love this question because this goes back to the initial, do we choose or are we chosen? (laughs) Yes. I think the answer is a resounding yes. Meaning what? 50-50? (laughs) 100-100. 100-100, Richard, without a doubt. Well, that sounds nonsensical to me. Does it? Why? Because you you have to quantify, but if you don't quantify these things of my effort and what I'm chosen to do. Yeah. It's full on both. What if I was chosen to do this full on? What if you're chosen to do this full on? That you are known so well. Well, we have to we have to look at the evidence and see which is the no, correct wait, answer. Wait, 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 wait. Why do we have to look at the evidence? Because we have found... And I, I mean this in a naive way. 
Okay, well, we have found uh, throughout the centuries yep. of human evolution right. that there are, t uh, I was going to say techniques or uh, methods to arrive at truth, and there's methods to arrive at falsehood. Which, and what we're really speaking about is like, is it manipulation or is it beneficial for people? Would you say that? Uh, well, I'll give you an example of a method that will put you on a path to falsehood. Yep. What is true is what makes you feel better. That will put you on a path to falsehood. Okay. Do you want to explain that? Sure. Uh, I believe that uh, I'm gonna. My soul is gonna live forever mm -hmm. because it makes me feel better. Okay. See, I mean, if that's your method for arriving the truth, yeah, no, arriving at the truth, you're you're kind of screwed because. Right. The truth doesn't care if it makes you feel better. That truth is objective. Truth is neither good or bad. Truth is objective. So we agree about that. Yeah, we do. So let me counter with this point. Yeah. That what do religion and science have in common? What do they have in common? What do you think? Mm, they're both approaching the unknown from different perspectives. Oh, that's perfect. You know why? Why? The problem with both is when they become certain of what they are, they lose the very reason for their effectiveness. So in Judaism we say, better a good question than a bad answer. Questions are holy. My friend Gedalia taught me this on Unraveling Religion. Mm. The same is true of science. That even when you arrive at a truth, it's not airtight, but no. you arrive at a greater, deeper understanding of things where it puts things in a perspective where this must be questioned, and you don't question it, you're no different than religion in the sense of holding on fast to something or clinging to something that we are not certain of. So the, what science and religion have in common when they are effective is an ever-unfolding understanding of what is before us. Well, that's something that Karl Popper said. Yeah, what did he say? He said that uh, when you're doing science and you arrive at a discovery, yeah. Your first question to yourself is, what would it take to show us that we made an error in this discovery? Right, right. He calls it his principle of falsifiability. Yeah, that's great. In other words... Uh, what if we extrapolate that onto ourselves? Well, it would mean, uh, what would it take for you... What would, it, what would it take to show you that what you believe in is not true? Or you. Yeah, right. I meant one. What would it take for one right. to uh, realize that what they believe is not true? Now, if you say nothing, right. nothing could make me think that I'm in error, Right. then you're deceiving yourself. Right. It's like a little test you can give yourself. Right. So, so if somebody believes in God, you would say, what would it take for you to realize there is no God? And they would say nothing. It means they're deceiving themselves. That's not true, though. Because they're... Yeah, because they have no way of testing their knowledge. Right, but not everything needs to be tested, does it? Yes, it does. Why? 
to verify it. So, okay, that's true. We can test. Can we test human experience? Uh, let's see. You mean like if... Uh, Not like. Can we test human experience? Like so you say... There's a range of human experience. You say, I saw a ghost in this abandoned house. No, you're... We can go test that. Well, no, but we're, ch we're talking about the range of human experience. Do, well, people, do people reproduce? Can we test that? Yeah. Can we test... We see colors. Can we test that? Uh, it's a little harder. Well, it's subjective, but we can. I mean, we could... Uh, Based on subjective report. I, I guess we could measure the wavelengths. We could probably do that. And based on the wavelength, we could call a wavelength a certain color. There was a big scandal last year when this magazine put out a... Is this a redirection, Richard? No, this is about how you can't tell color. Well, why can't we trust people's subjective reports? I see because only they browns. They conflict. Right, but you may see color and I may not. Well, you might see a different color. Well, I may only see black and white. Right. Yeah, color blindness, yeah. Color blindness? Yeah. So that's subjective. Right, but the thing that made all the media and everybody who's a Twitter about was this dress is gold and white to some people, and the same dress mm -hmm. is dark blue and light blue to other people. Right. And they argue about it passionately. I can't believe you see gold and white. That's obviously dark blue and right. light blue. What if they did this? Richard, what if they did this? What if they said, oh my God, that's so cool that you see that that way. <laughs> and then that person said, I can't believe that I didn't see it that way, but that's so interesting that you see it that way. Okay. Would that be okay? Sure. Okay. It's not that people have to argue about differences. They can also honor differences. That's, that's a fundamental yeah, thing that's here. Wise. Yeah, it's yeah. wise to honor different perspectives. Yeah. And at the same time, you realize that... Um, Our senses are not infallible. Wow, look at the size of that TV. That's a big TV. Look at that. I don't own one. I Me neither. Have... Yeah. So two people, well, I do, but we only use it for the Super Bowl. Well, I know, I know, yeah. But uh, two people are walking around enjoying reality, yeah. looking at people in their houses enjoying fictional reality. Right. And that's okay. Why is it important for you to say that? Because I think there has to be a level of acceptance of people where they're at. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, if they if they knew to chose choose better, if they are chosen to choose, if they choose to think that they are chosen, either way, right? Yeah. yeah. They would choose. I I believe that if they knew with full wisdom what was good. They would choose that. I believe that wholly of all people. It's only ignorance that allows us not to make good decisions. Not knowing doesn't allow to make good decisions, I think. I'm puzzled. What's the significance of the table? I don't know. The mini, we, mini table. Are we back at Shanley? Yeah. 45 Shanley? Yeah. We've just walked this is for, home of the future. We have just walked for 20, 25 minutes. 20 or 25 minutes. Richard, I really enjoy this, this talk. Okay. Could we post this on Unraveling Religion? Uh, if you want to edit it. Do you want to edit it? Or? I don't need to edit it. I'm oh. good with it just as is. Okay.
Now, can I read this? The, your chalk? Yeah, you could read the text. It says Plato. It's written in chalk um, in two parts, which is... Uh, is that yellow or white? I can't tell. Can, what do you see? I see yellow Okay. blue. I'll take your word for it. Plato, the soul is separated from the body. It is immortal. Then Aristotle in blue says, the soul is part of the body. When the body dies, the soul dies. What side of that are you on? There's an interesting koan. Say and her soul separate. I'm not sure. I think we have to experience it to know. But there's a problem with your answer. Why? Because you have to think up ways to act in the world. True. That's based on your worldview. Your worldview contains the answer to that, whether you know it or not. That's true. Do we need to express it in language for it to affect things? <laughs> well, the clearer your understanding of your worldview is, yeah. the better your life is. Huh. Hey, Richard? Yeah. Thank you so much for the night walk. You're welcome.